Appreciate you being here tonight. I just have one question. Those of you who like the cranberry over gravy, do you put cranberry on your mashed potatoes? I, I don't know how that works, and uh, I don't do the cranberry thing, but uh, I was giving Caden Lauder a hard time over here because he was vocal about being for cranberry. I said, what's your problem? He said, he said gravy is just a bunch of melted fat. And I said, exactly, that's why it's so good. I mean, yeah, pour fat on anything, that's flavor. But anyway, so, youngin's got a lot to learn, amen. <laughs> no, you enjoy your cranberry, I'll take the gravy, amen, those of us who do. We continue in our series on God's prophetical times, and uh, just kind of, how did we get here? We started out here with number four, and uh, in our four points thus far, the time when Christ returns to take his bride home with him, the rapture, we said simply, again, we're not going to beat the proverbial dead horse, but we believe in the rapture, we believe in a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture, we believe uh, in the literal interpretation of God's word, and then that fourth point, uh, we apply the same kind of literal interpretation to the prophetical question of when the rapture is going to happen, we quickly arrive at that position of imminency. And so then last Sunday night, we came back to the basics of the rapture. We looked here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we considered this, letter E. Uh, we believe that a literal interpretation of the scriptures clearly teaches the reality of the rapture of the church. And we focused in on Paul's teaching. Paul, uh, throughout the New Testament, is probably one of the key figures the Holy Spirit uses to teach about the end times, particularly for the church. And I think that's crucial for us to understand. He, he used all the New Testament authors, no doubt, but Paul especially. As he's writing to New Testament churches, he's preparing the New Testament churches for what is to come. And so, honestly, though you and I are interested in the tribulation, you and I are interested in what happens after it, can I just tell you as a church, I sure am glad we're not going to take part in it. And, and so we see the focus of the letters to the New Testament church don't really say a ton about the tribulation and everything else they focus more on the rapture and what's going to happen with the church and so forth and so god uses paul to do so and so we saw there in first corinthians 15 51 he dealt with it being termed a mystery and i love that terminology and we used the illustration last week as the young people came up and helped us how we came to understand that this word is often used in scripture to describe a teaching that has not been given expressly in details. It has not been you know, totally and completely revealed up until this point. In fact, very limitedly. There's been a veil over it to this point. And so he's saying, listen, behold, I show you a mystery. We won't all sleep. And he goes on to explain the resurrection and the rapture, all how they go together, together and things, and both in 1 Corinthians 15, but also here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Okay? And then we understood, as again, the illustration, the Old Testament, the prophet's perspective, they saw it as one big picture. It wasn't a series of events laid out with gaps of time in between from their perspective. The revelation given in the Old Testament was the, the entirety of Christ's second coming. That's why I like to term it from the rapture all the way to the time he comes down in two stages. Because that's really how the Old Testament pictures it uh, as a kind of a lump sum, if you could put it that way. They foresaw Christ coming to earth as one big event. From his birth, to his death, to his resurrection, to the rapture, to him coming in judgment and establishing his kingdom, defeating Satan once and for all, and establishing new heaven and new earth. That's all pictured and kind of lumped together, if we could put it together, or put it that way in their minds. Then Christ came to earth and began to creak open the door, if we might say, began to add a little detail to different aspects of the revelation, uh, more um, description about individual prophecies, different parts, separate events that will play out here in the future. 
And that continues to grow as we move through the, the New Testament, culminating obviously in uh, the Revelation, right? And boy, it's much detail given in Revelation uh, that confirms and expounds upon what Christ even gave in you know, his time here as he taught. And so uh, as it culminates there, it is of interest to note that even Jesus Christ, especially while he was on earth here in teaching, kind of presented it, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, kind of lumped together. And uh, many events, too, much like the prophetical perspective. Then again, he began opening the door a little bit for its individual descriptions and things like that. And so that's why uh, Paul and other New Testament authors that are directed towards the church were used to educate, assure, uh, encourage us, and prepare us as the church for Christ's return. Giving in details, filling in some of the details. And so use that as a springboard in our understanding to come to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. We look particularly at, at verse 17, that word harpazo, and uh, the description of the rapture, the suddenness. And we, we use that uh, quote, it's a sudden swoop uh, of an irresistible force that pulls you away. And I like how Paul described it in verse 52 of 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye. In the twinkling of an eye, we used illustration of roller coasters and things there. And then we said, notice what the rest of verse 17 says here in First Corinthians, or First Thessalonians, chapter four. Um, we will meet him in the air, with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And that is a huge differentiation. It, it, it makes it very clear. You cannot argue. Someone can come along and say, oh, no, no, First Thessalonians chapter 4 is not a proof passage for the rapture. It, it, it's for his second coming as far as coming down to earth. That's not true because that's not what it teaches. It, it, it clarifies and differentiates it where we're going to meet the Lord. We're not going to go to the Mount of Olives where he puts down his feet and defeats the foe and establishes, as Isaiah put, the, the desert into gardens and so forth. And that's not what's described here. He's not here to mete out judgment when he comes what's described here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the rapture. It is a mystery up until this point. It has not been fully revealed. There's been a little glimpses. We'll see that tonight. Jesus Christ made some statements that speak of the rapture, though it's kind of hard sometimes in context to differentiate it from the other prophetical events that are transpiring in his teaching. So we understand that as he speaks of it here, this, this is Jesus Christ coming for the church. That really is what this is all about, described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the snatching away of believers to be with the Lord. Now I love the context of the passage. I love how the Holy Spirit led uh, Paul to write it, and then later on, even the chapter divisions and the King James. I, I think these are, these are neat to see. You see, as it deals with the resurrect resurrection of believers, the rapture, do you remember how he closes it, or at least how we find the chapter breakdown? Notice it, it really is all about one thing, isn't it? it? It's about comfort. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18 and what he says. Wherefore, okay, considering all these teachings and all this truth that I just shared with you, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. This teaching is to be a comforting thought in fact and truth. Um, and, and here's the key. The teaching doesn't rest upon speculation. This comfort is not found on philosophy and some theological hypothesis. That's not at all what's presented here. It doesn't rest upon the dogma of a particular denomination or church. It rests upon biblical and historical truth. I like how he says, listen, all of this rests upon something. And that's really how he started back here in verse number 14, isn't it? Okay. He says what? It rests upon the fact of Christ's death. Now, for me, this is crucial as a believer. 
this is where it all starts, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, and that's where our, our sins are paid for. And the possibility of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ now exists because of what he did on the cross. And that's where Paul starts here. Look at verse 14, just the first part. Here's what he says. For if we believe that Jesus died, okay? So if we believe that, if we take it to heart and we believe in that truth and that reality, this is where it starts. We believe that he died for our sins. He died and rose again to defeat death and sin in the grave. And that has great significance. I like how he compares it here, okay? What does he say in this passage? As we read ahead, we understand this. He says, Christ's death is the needed condition to turn death into what Paul calls here sleep. And even Jesus Christ used that terminology considering Lazarus. Hey, he, he used this play on words or a specific use of words to say, wait a minute, the, the term death has such a negative connotation in the sense of what it is. And certainly there is negativity to death. But boy, when Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, my friend, he changed death into sleep. He changed death into sleep. And that's, Paul is hitting on this here. Like, Don't be worried about those who have gone on before us that are asleep. And I, I love, again, the, the picture, the terminology that is used here in the passage for us. You see, you know what Christ's death and resurrection does to death for each of us? It reduces death to sleep. And you say, Pastor Henry, what's, what's the big deal about that? You know something about sleep? The more, the older I get, the more I look forward to it. Amen. Okay, and the more I want it, I desire it. And it's changed in perspective. It has changed in perspective. Why? Because sleep is not something to be dreaded. It's something to be desired. Now, you, you, we speak of death, and, and without Jesus Christ, without the promise of what death has become, can I tell you, death ought to be feared. You're here tonight. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You haven't trusted in Him. You ought to fear death. You ought to fear it. It should be feared. But Jesus Christ died, and you and I believe it. We put our faith and trust in it. That changes everything. It changes death to sleep. And I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, sleep is, is to be desired, not dreaded. Sleep gives us rest from our seemingly endless labor. Sleep refreshes us. It rejuvenates us. Uh, it refreshes us. And so in that same context, this usage of the word sleep is not by accident. He's not just searching for a word. How do I describe death for, for believers? No, this is, this is intentional because, my goodness, sleep is a much better thought than death. You remember the disciples when Jesus Christ told them that Lazarus sleepeth? What they think? Oh, that's good. He needs to sleep. It's good to sleep when you're sick. That's what they thought. And honestly, can I just tell you right now, that's what Jesus Christ changed death into for a believer. Sleep. The picture is perfect. You see, Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, we found something in this. We have found the victory. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 57 would expound, what's that victory over? What have we gained the victory over? Well, over death in the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, over death in the grave. In fact, he says in the same passage, we are told that death has lost its sting, right? Okay, its sting. Death has lost its sting. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I hated taking naps. 
I hated going to sleep. I hated when my mom and dad said, hey, it's time to take a nap. In fact, as a parent, I have learned that go to your bed, go take a nap can sometimes be a good discipline. Go, it's time to go take a nap. It's time to go take a nap. You need to go to your bed. Can I tell you, as a, as a child, and you can imagine with my energy, as a child, taking a nap was, was painful. There was a sting to it. I don't like that. I didn't want to slow down. I didn't want to not go sleep, go take a nap. I didn't want to do that at all. Can I tell you what I did at 49 years of age this afternoon? I took a nap. And I was looking forward to it all afternoon. I was excited about it. I wish it was longer. I enjoyed that nap. I enjoyed. Can I just tell you, growing older is taking a little sting out of naps. Amen? Can I tell you, my friend, as a believer, once you understand what Jesus Christ has done to death, it sure does take sting out of death. It takes the sting out of it. It, it reduces death into this thought concept of sleep. It's, it's not painful anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. It's, it, it, it's just like sleep. I'm already looking forward to going to sleep tonight, but I'm also looking forward to the moment that I take my last breath on here, on this place, because I sure do know that I won't be here. I'll be with my Savior. And that is the greatest rest that any of us can enjoy. So we look forward to it because Christ has changed everything. His death has done so. That's why Paul writes here, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. This is a source of comfort. Wait a minute. The world talks of death, and it's just like terrible, horrible, and as well as it should be if they die without Jesus Christ. But you and I, boy, we die believing in Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, hey, there's great comfort here. There's great truth that can just be an encouragement to your soul and your spirit. You see, the doctrines of the resurrection of the saved and who have gone on before us and that of the rapture are only made possible by the death of Jesus Christ. Him taking our place, him bearing the penalty of our sins, thus turning death into sleep for us. Now comfort one another with these words. And he goes on. This connection, I think this is crucial for us to understand. One of the great connections in the New Testament is between the resurrection of the saints and the rapture of the saints. They are tremendously connected, and we'll see that as this passage bears out and Paul's producing it, okay? Now, this connection is based not only upon Jesus Christ's death, but it's also based upon Jesus Christ's resurrection. Look at the rest of verse 14, where we stopped. We read this, for if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, there also is the crux, the foundation for what Paul is going to talk about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 14. So what exactly does the resurrection prove? One of, the, one of the things it proves is simply this. God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When Christ says that it's finished on the cross and he died and he went into that grave, one of the confirmations that it is finished, one of the confirmations that God in heaven, his wrath has been appeased is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that being raised again to bring glory certainly and to intercede on our behalf. He had indeed paid the, in full the price of our sins. He destroyed death in the grave for those who believe in him. The sting of death was gone, as Paul wrote, as we see. How is that so? How does that play out? Paul would explain it. Here's how that happens. And as, he, as Christ's resurrection has made this possible, now things are brand new for you and I. Things can happen that could have never happened before. And Paul explains them in 2 Corinthians. Turn back here. Hold your spot here. We'll be right back here. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And what a powerful passage we have here. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We look at verse number 6. 
he uses a couple words, and even in my Bible, I wrote something out to the side. I'll share it in a moment, but it's such a powerful passage. He says this, therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Okay, so you're here right now, you're hearing my voice, and you're alive as we would describe it. You're absent from the Lord. You're, you're here, present in your body. He goes on, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay? Now, notice verse 8. We are confident. Right above that word confident in my Bible, I wrote the word knowledge. Because he said just in the two verses before, we are confident knowing. So when I read that word confidence, that comes from knowledge. It comes from knowledge. And that really has something to say about what we're studying tonight in First Thessalonians chapter 4. I have confidence because now we know. Paul says, I'm revealing a mystery. God is showing some things to you and I about the resurrection of believers and its connection to the rapture of the saints. And so now, having a knowledge, we can be confident. Notice what he goes on. We are confident, knowledge, I say, and willing, rather. You know what I have written to the outside of willing? Desire. Desire. I have a desire that's based upon confidence that comes from knowledge. So there's a desire in my heart. What's that desire, Paul says? To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So he now is explaining what is, what is possible because Jesus Christ died. He rose again from the grave. He defeated death and sin in the grave. So now something is possible for the believer that was never possible before. You say, what is that? Well, what is described here in this passage? Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to uh, certainly um, make fun of anything. But let me explain this. I have, as some of you likewise, I've been in the presence of a believer uh, in their last few moments. Been in that room as they laid on a bed, and you probably, some of you might have experienced that also. Not the easiest thing to go through, not the easiest thing to face, but I'll tell you, when I was in that room and they took their last breath, I did not witness their bodies going up from that bed through the ceiling and onward to be with the Lord. Their bodies did not disappear. Now, you say, well, obviously, Pastor Henry, well, that's important. Because the Bible here is saying that to be absent from that body is to be present with the Lord. And so, my friend, as we see that described, what do these verses mean? Well, Paul speaks of you and I being separate from our bodies. Meaning that we are soul and spirit inhabiting or dwelling this shell, this body, for the moment. Now, when physical death comes, when physical death comes, now, instead of ushering our soul and spirit into spiritual death, which is separation from God, we, that is our soul and our spirit, who we are, are now ushered into the presence of God. While the body goes to sleep, awaiting the resurrection to come crucial truth i love the passage here in, in corinthians because it says listen to be absent from this body i know exactly where i will be it will be with the lord to be absent from the body to be present with the lord and i'm confident of it and honestly i'm willing i desire it paul writes because he understands but why i'm in this body i am absent from the lord and so the teaching is pretty clear isn't it what has christ changed he's changed everything so when death comes knocking, the Bible says, and as I often like to quote when we're sharing the gospel, as it is appointed unto man who wants to die. We all have an appointment with death. You will not miss the appointment. You will not sleep through it. You, will not, this will not, you can't postpone it. You can't call and get it changed. You have an appointment with death. All of us do. 
But my friend, boy, the, the tenor of that appointment has changed. Amen? What if I said you had an appointment tomorrow? And I said the first thing, uh, and, and maybe I said this, you have an appointment with a doctor and it's time to get caught up on some of your shots. How many of us would avoid that? I, I, I would not look forward to that. Shots and everything else. What if I said, hey, tomorrow you have an appointment. You show up at this appointment, someone has a gift for you. How many are going to like that appointment, amen? Yeah, that's good, right? You see what has changed with our appointment of death? Jesus Christ came along, and you see it here presented. The reality is this. Now, now, to be absent from this body is the promise to be present with the Lord. See, Paul is encouraging these fellow church believers. Yeah, you mourn the absence of a person here among us. Certainly, we miss their presence in this place. But my goodness, they are enjoying the presence of God Almighty. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that is not possible apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul would write again of it in Romans, and this is a lengthy passage, but what a powerful passage. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, he says this, Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized in his death. Let's step back a second. This is, passage is not talking about the water baptism that is a symbolic aspect of it, okay? Um, if you can say it's a picture of what that is a symbol of, yes, but this baptism spoken of here is not speaking of the water baptism, which is just symbolic of the baptism that's already taken place. He's speaking of our identification with Christ, being baptized into the Holy Spirit. That's the passage here is dealing with. So notice what he says. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, we've identified with him through faith, were baptized into his death. That's why the symbolic aspect of, uh, of water baptism is what? Buried with him, death, dying with God, buried, raised to newness of life. It's the picture found here in this passage. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Again, water baptism does not bury you into Christ. Your faith and trust in him does. That baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a great picture of that. And so Paul, certainly the scriptures make that distinction clear. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. You know what I say when I read that passage? I sure am glad that Jesus Christ rose again. Because if he rose again, if we believe in him, guess who gets to be risen again? You and I. Our bodies will... <laughs> be resurrected our soul and spirit will be reunited with this body it's the promise of scripture based upon our identification with the death burial and resurrection of christ in salvation that the baptism represents and the baptism of the holy spirit is an important part of so when christ rose again it was not only a statement of god saying i am pleased with the sacrifice it is a guarantee of the resurrection of every believer as well. And I love what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Again, so many of these passages and so many of these statements are written to church believers saying, listen, this is what you have in Christ. This is what we have to look forward to. 1 Corinthians six fourteen, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his power, his own power. Good teaching, again, confirming it. Now, Based upon that truth and that teaching, Paul writes something back here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, particularly verse number 14. Notice it, if you will. He says this, 
For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I love that little statement. In fact, he used it in Romans chapter 6. He uses it again here. He says this, even so, even so. It's a great little statement. It's a a transitional statement. He's connecting now the resurrection of the deceased saints to the rapture of the living saints. And boy, that is, that's encouraging. That's That's a theological connection he's making for us. And it answers the question that they have. Well, what about our deceased loved ones that's gone on before us that have trusted in Jesus Christ? What about them? And as he does so, don't miss it, as he reveals about them, he says, let me also reveal more about the rapture. Here's what's going to happen to the church. And so he explains, God is going to bring those deceased saints with him and raise up their bodies. He's going to raise up and glorify, as he goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's going to glorify their body, raise them up. The truth, this truth, was to be a source of comfort. Now, I have heard people make this statement, okay? I've heard people make a statement something like, well, I, I just, I, I, I hope I don't die because I don't want to miss out on the rapture. I, I, I hope I don't die because I want to experience the rapture. Can I tell you? Uh, the reality is simply this. If you are in Christ, if you are his, you will be part of the great event one way or another. The entirety of God's church will be here. The only difference is this, don't miss it, whether you're coming up or you're coming down. Whether you're coming with him in the clouds to meet the saints from the earth in the air or whether you're going up from earth. And I I like to think of it this way. You know, those who we often say it's a great reunion and and certainly there'll be great reunions in heaven. But I sure am thankful there's going to be a great reunion in the sky. Amen. God's going to bring those saints with him. That's going to look like a good Baptist fellowship. Amen. Right there in the middle of the sky and the clouds, that's the description. But you realize something else is going to happen? Listen to me. Those who are dead in Christ, they actually get to experience two reunions. You and I get to see them. They get to see loved ones that are here on earth. But guess what? They get to see their body again. And it is glorified. I don't know fully what kind of temporary body they might have in heaven right now. I don't think the Bible's explicitly clear about what they are like and so forth. How many physical distinction? If it's some kind of temporary body that's patterned after this, I don't know. I didn't necessarily find the scriptures that say so, but I do know this. The day is coming when the believers who've gone on before us will be reunited with their body and it will be glorified. This mortality must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption or incorruptible, as Paul would describe in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's going to be a great and exciting double reunion. So speaking to the concern of the Thessalonica believers, he makes it clear that the deceased will not miss out on this. And here is the the epic point. He says, listen, if we believe in Christ that he died and he rose again, we will not miss out on this resurrection. And if we believe in Jesus Christ and his death and and resurrection, we will not miss out on the rapture. These two things go hand in hand. The resurrection of believers and the rapture of the church, the saints. Everybody will have a part in both of those. Oh, what a glorious reunion in time that will be. The church gathers together in the air. See, Paul would continue to explain it. 
I love how Paul gives little snippets, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit does. And he adds a little bit here, and he adds a little bit there. He gives us a full picture of this truth and many other truths. Here's what he wrote to the church at Corinth again, 2 Corinthians 4.14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. It'll be a grand get-together. Why do we call it hymns of old? And sometimes we describe it as the great meeting in the cloud. Do you realize that as we're gathered together with our Savior, both those who've gone on before and those who are here on earth, it will be a fantastical a sight to behold as the whole church, as all believers will be gathered there. Now, I just wonder this. Forgive me, somewhat juvenile, but this is sometimes how my mind goes. What if there's a human here on earth that is unsaved and they're looking through a telescope at that moment? What a sight that would to behold if God would allow them to do so. To see the church gathered together with their Lord in the clouds. We'll meet him in the air. I tell you, my friend. This rendezvous that we have with Jesus Christ, there's, it's a gift that keeps on giving. You see the rest of the promise even here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17? Here's what he writes to you and I. He says this, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hey, is there someone in your life right now that you can't stand to be away from? Husband and a wife, and you, you just don't like to be separated. I hate, you know, I hate going on trips because I tell you, it doesn't take long for me to miss Erica if she's not on the trip with me and, and vice versa. Just, just don't like to be away from them, don't like to do that. Can I just tell you right now, the more you and I get to know our Lord, we yearn to be with Him. And this is a great comfort and great promise that the day is coming. The day is coming when we will never, never, never have to say goodbye to Him. So shall we be what? Ever with the Lord will be his forever as the bride of christ as the church of christ we will be with him forever there's no more separation there's no more sin coming to separate us it's not going to happen we will be ever with the lord and i say to that hallelujah hallelujah you see jesus christ too gave a little glimpse as i said before and i i love it when the dots are connected in scripture you and I have the grand privilege of looking hindsight, right? We say hindsight is twenty twenty. sometimes. As we get to look back through the pages of Scripture, we begin to pick up things that in the moment, maybe they didn't understand fully. They didn't understand the prophetical revelation that was said there. But I sure do like looking back and knowing what I know of Scriptures now in the New Testament. I love hearing Jesus Christ say to his own disciples simply these words, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, ye may be also. Adds a whole new understanding that as he looked around and he looked at every disciple in the eye and he says, listen, I'm going to go, but I'm coming back for you. The day is coming where I'll come back and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, ye may be also. And I don't know about you, but that's the greatest comfort we could ever hear. He's coming back. The saints will be resurrected. There'll be a grand reunion of saints in the sky with their Lord and with each other. The saints who've gone on before will be reunited to their bodies that will be glorified. Our bodies will be glorified. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so you know what? I join John in saying, even so come, Lord Jesus. Come tonight. Amen. That saves us a whole lot of cooking this week. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus.
We look forward to it. Join me in standing, if you will. We're going to get back into our study here, not next week, the week after that, possibly. Actually, we have a missionary, so it'll be a few weeks before we get back to our study. But it's been an enjoyable study.